welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It's Jessica. So glad you decided to check in with us on the show because I have another incredible episode for you today. Um, I'm speaking with McCall Dempsey. I came across McCall online and I have been so impressed with her journey, both as someone who advocates for awareness and on behalf of people who suffer from eating disorders. We're going to talk about her personal journey with that and what she does now to empower other women and provide resources for them. We're also going to talk about when her daughter was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age, what that road was like for her and how that changed her motherhood outlook. She's a truly incredible, incredible woman and an extraordinary mom, and I can't wait for you to meet her today. So let's get to my conversation with McCall Dempsey. All right, I want to welcome McCall to the show. Hey, McCall. Hi, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing can't complain. I want to say McCall Dempsey is just about the coolest name I've ever heard. Oh, thanks so much. I like it. <laughs> I love it. It's just so strong and hip and cool, and it's just <laughs> super awesome. Thank you. I love it. I love it. Well, where am I speaking to you from today? So I live in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, which is just pretty much Jacksonville, Florida. So I'm on the East Coast. Awesome. I'm in Southern California. So we're opposite sides of the country today, but it's great that we can I love that. connect this way and hear more about your motherhood journey. So for people that may not know you, McCall, I've been following you um, for a little while now, and it's just been so incredible seeing the work that you've been doing really um, driven by your life experiences, what you advocate for now and everything. So will you just give a little background on yourself and your family, and then we'll dive more into that journey? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, So, gosh, where to start? Uh, Well, my husband and I have been married 11 years, and we have two little ones, Manning, who is six, and Marjorie is three. And like we said, we live in Florida, but I am born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, And we moved to the East Coast about four years ago, starting in St. Simon's Island and then moved down to Florida um, just about a year ago. So um, I struggled with an eating disorder for about 15 years, and I struggled in, in silence and in shame, not really thinking that I was ever sick enough to seek help and treatment. And I did not seek help and treatment until I was 29 years old. My husband and I had been married for four years. In fact, I spent my fourth wedding anniversary in treatment. I went to treatment at a place called the Carolina House in Durham, North Carolina, which is a facility for women 17 and older. And I was there for three months. And obviously, it was a trying time for my my husband and I. But, you know, I, I know we both say that we would never have changed a thing. And the, the gift that I gave myself in, in going to treatment, the gift of recovery, has been the biggest blessing and gift in my life. And we were pregnant with Manning shortly thereafter, and then we were pregnant with Marjorie a few years later. In that in-between time, I started my foundation, Southern Smash, which is my foundation. Uh, We are a nonprofit aimed at raising positive body image and eating disorder awareness. Um, 
throughout the country through our signature scale smashing event. So I smash bathroom scales for a living, kind of the best job ever. <laughs> and it just became clear that that was my life's mission and and goal to do that. You know, when I left treatment, all I wanted to do was pay it forward. And, you know, somehow just following this intuition and this passion that I had, I started Southern Smash. Shortly after, about a year and a half after starting Southern Smash, I became pregnant with my daughter Marjorie. Uh, we moved to St. Simons Island. And then at 27 weeks, Marjorie decided to make her entrance into this world uh, three months early. So she was in the hospital for about two and a half months. And um, sadly, at seven months, she was diagnosed with cancer, neuroblastoma. Wow. And um, I'm proud to say, thrilled to say, and blessed to say that she is cancer-free today and is a cancer survivor, and you would never know the trying time that she has had. So that is often what I write about. Um, thankfully, now I get to write about just everyday mom struggles as well as body image struggles that so many women and men can relate to and just, you know, embracing our imperfections and how to love the chaos around us is like motherhood and all the mess that comes with it. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with McCall, but I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors and that is BioClarity. I was so excited to find BioClarity, a great clean and green gentle skincare line that helps me get naturally glowing skin that's 100% vegan and cruelty free. I love how easy BioClarity is to use. I use their clear skin routine, which is three steps, cleanse, treat, restore, and it's delivered straight to my door and it doesn't get any easier than that. So get started on healthier habits with your skincare by going to bioclarity.com. My listeners get their first month for 50% off a routine plus free shipping. And it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee if you enter my code, EMP. So that's going to bioclarity.com and then enter my code EMP, capital EMP at bioclarity.com. Thanks so much to BioClarity for sponsoring the show. Take care of your skin, mamas. Take care of yourself. If you can make time morning and night to just wash your face and feel indulged in that, you'll be amazed at how much better your whole day will feel. Make BioClarity a part of your everyday routine. All right, let's get back to it with McCall. Yeah, I hear you. And if it's not in the form of an eating disorder, if it's it, it will take another form, right? As moms, as women, we all are doing these coping things to try and control the things where other things are outside of our control. This is what we can focus on. Or, you know, there's, there's lots of manifestations, um, and you know better than I do, especially since all the stories I'm sure that you've heard, but... So if you have not had struggled with eating, um, if, if you haven't had a cancer diagnosis, this story still relates, right? Because we all just have our own journey and our own challenges. And there's, but there's this common thread of, of determination and hope that permeates every success story. And so I think that's what I really hope people hear in your story today. It just blows my mind that you did not get, get treatment until 20 nine years old. How many years had you been struggling at that point? I had been struggling a a solid 15 years, uh, but I can remember, you know, at a really young age, not feeling confident or really just worthy in my body, right? Mm. Because as kids, sometimes um, we're not aware of our bodies, but I just always had this sinking feeling that I wasn't good enough and that something was missing. And 
as, you know, middle school progressed and, you know, I, I was bullied and, or just kind of left out, which is right. Like the worst kind of being bullied. You're just mm -hmm. not there, um, in my sister's shadow. And it was just kind of like this perfect storm that, um, the eating disorder was forming and became my best friend and became the way for me to feel seen for, for me to feel worthy was mm -hmm. was through my eating disorder and it, it served a purpose to help cope with anxiety and depression that was also going unrecognized and untreated hmm. I've never really asked this question of someone who's who's battled something like this but did it work for you did it fulfill that need to control and make you feel more confident more seen more empowered did it work absolutely okay. like, you know, like I just said eating disorders oftentimes form to serve a purpose, whether mm -hmm. it's through someone has a trauma, um, or like I was saying with anxiety and, and depression, or I am a very sensitive person. Folks that are really, really sensitive can often, um, be at, um, they, they can develop an easing eating disorder to kind of help cope with the overwhelming emotions that someone who is very sensitive feels, right? And mm -hmm. I grew up in a house where it was, oh, stop being so sensitive. Not because my parents didn't care, but they really didn't recognize what all entails of someone when you are a very sensitive soul. And that is a gift that you truly have to nurture and take care of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eating disorders form to serve all kinds of different purposes, but somewhere along the way, they stop serving their purpose. And the person, the individual is left not being able to let go of their eating disorder, not being, not knowing how to, um, to stop the behaviors, to stop the symptoms, to stop the obsessive thoughts. And that's where treatment comes into play, which is why early intervention is key to long and sustaining recovery. So the wider the gap between the onset of something like an eating disorder and when you actually start addressing the underlying root of it, that is lost time and, and, and kind of the hole gets deeper as you walk away from other healthier coping mechanisms because this right. is working. This is filling the need. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. And, yeah. and you can also see it as, you know, as, as the eating disorder is forming and serving all of these purposes, you are developing all of these really unhealthy ways to cope, yeah. whether it's restricting food, binging food, or simply numbing out emotions through something else or an unhealthy relationship with exercise. You know, anytime you're doing that, you're reinforcing all of these really unhealthy behaviors. And so the process of recovery and treatment with a professional is going to teach you you know, fill up your toolbox with loads of really healthy skills on how to cope with life without your eating disorder, how to cope with your anxiety without your eating disorder, without mm -hmm. your exercise addiction. And honestly, these skills is why I always say recovery is such a gift is because these skills really sustain me through life. They sustain me through my daughter's illnesses and through any types of up and down, ups and downs that I have. I really call on those skills and I I feel like I have a leg up on the world because I have been through this process and been through recovery and have a toolbox filled with these skills on how to process through life's tough times effectively. Hmm. I hear the same thing about people who've been through addiction recovery yeah. um, and go through the AA program or different 12-step programs like that. It's like, gosh, everyone should have access to this information because really it's just becoming more holistically aware of who you are, what your worth is, what your options are in terms of coping, what your responsibility is, what other people's responsibility is, and kind of clarifying all that. I think right. nobody it's, teaches it's, us that. 
<laughs> nobody teaches that, you know, especially yeah. that we go into schools and we teach them don't do drugs, you know, safe sex and all these things that are, are great in their own way. But no one is really teaching effective education on mental health, effective education on life skills, on mm. on what to do if you are feeling this way. And so that's why it's just become my life platform to go into schools and say, hey, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be perfect because perfect doesn't exist. Mm. And, you know, these, these young people today are facing such a, a tough time in that they are expected to go to school, to make the grade, to have the perfect prom dress, to be the varsity football player, to have the perfect Instagram, to get the most likes, to, you know, it's it's just, it's mind-blowing how much pressure they're under. And so it's really important for someone to speak out to them and say, hey, if you're not feeling like your Instagram looks on the outside, that's okay. And it's okay to reach out for help. Yeah, I can't even imagine being a teen or middle schooler in this social media age. I mean, it is a completely different world. Like we had a slam book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's important to realize it's not going anywhere. So we could just fret and worry and you know commiserate, or we can do something right. And it may start small, um, and we may not know totally what we're doing. But as long as we're starting somewhere to make a difference and to open that communication with our child and teach them those skills that they aren't getting anywhere else. I guess that's the only place to start. Exactly. Yeah. You're exactly right. Amazing. Amazing. And so during that time and as time went on, did anybody know what was going on with you that it was detrimental to you or did they just see the confident part of you that where it was working? educate specifically on you know eating disorders is well I know back in my day when I was in high school they popped in a lifetime movie with Tracy Gold and she had anorexia and she was cured in the end of the hour-long movie that we Mm. watched in PE and that was all I knew about eating disorders and so unless it was during one of my periods of my struggle that I was underweight or at a low weight, that was the only time people quote unquote noticed, Mm. which in turn only validated my eating disorder and validated my drive for thinness, you know? And so during those times, you know, people would say, Oh, you know, you look thin. What are you, you know? And at first it was McCall, you look great. You look great. Right. Uh Because in our society, life's key to happiness is losing weight. Mm -hmm. And you know, that was validating. And then it turned into concerns. And a lot of times it could be written off as, oh, it's a high school phase. Or when I lost um, a significant amount of weight for my wedding, oh, she's on the bride diet. So our society really lets us kind of get away with having severe eating disorders or depression or anxiety because it's just kind of written off. Mm. Um, And so it was those kind of noticing. My husband did notice a few things. One time he found my diet pills and he approached my mom and my mom just said, oh, that's just, you know, McCall's going through a phase because that was all she had recognized because on the outside, I did this magnificent job of putting on this mask, telling everyone I was fine, taking care of everyone else around me. I had a successful job. I had, you know, I made great grades. I was social chairman of my sorority Kappa Kappa Gamma at Ole Miss, you know, planning parties, handing out t-shirts and literally killing myself behind closed doors and no one knew. Hmm. Wow. Wow. And so for people that are on the outside, is there anything that anybody could have done had they recognized before you were 29 years old to, to get you help, to bring more awareness to McCall, it's not worth it. 
could anybody have done anything or is it really just up to the individual? I think it's a combination of both. I feel like if someone would have come into my high school and maybe shared their story like I do today in a really real and relatable way, um, you know, I always say I am, I am not anyone special. I am just someone standing in front of students sharing my story and sharing the message that it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I was desperate for someone to tell me that I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to always be happy that these feelings and thoughts in my head, I wasn't crazy. Cause right. I just kept saying, I'm mm -hmm. just weird. I'm just crazy. If I tell anyone, they're going to think I'm nuts or they're going to think I want attention or I'm just going to cause drama. And I didn't want any of that. So I just kept it to myself However, I think as well that, you know, it comes a point where the eating disorder was going to stop working. And it was certainly still working for me in high school and throughout college. And so it became a combination of, wow, what would it have been if somebody said, it's okay, you know, what you're thinking and feeling, I get it. And mm. to also have, you know, proper medical intervention to say, you know, with a therapist, sit down across from a, a trained eating disorder therapist to, to help me work through that recovery process. Mm. So what would you say to the mom listening that does have a highly sensitive child, which is not necessarily a bad thing at all. It can be, yeah. it can be a hard thing. Um, but it can also be a great strength to have compassion and really feel what other people feel and to be really aware of your emotions. That can be a wonderful attribute. So I do not want moms or if you are a highly sensitive person to knock it is okay. That is okay. However, it is great also to know maybe that makes you more susceptible to things like eating disorders. So if I'm a mom of somebody, an, a preteen, let's say, who's highly sensitive, maybe they're feeling on the outs, they're noticing these precursors, and then maybe they're starting to notice lunches coming home from school or, you know, whatever, a few of those signs. Mm -hmm. What can you do early, early stages to keep it from going down the path that you ultimately went down. Yeah. And I, I think you are, you hit the nail on the head. Sensitivity is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I, I gave birth to an extremely sensitive child and it is something that I plan to really cultivate and let him know that it is a gift. It's not a curse. Uh, and you know, there's so many things that we can do as parents to help these children express their sensitivity. One of the reasons that I probably, you know, the eating disorder was forming is that I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have a place to say, I'm really sad. I'm angry. I'm feeling, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's not to say that I did not have a fantastic family with a mom who cooked dinner and had, you know, a home homemade dinner every night and we sat down as a family. You know, I mean, I had the picture perfect family and they are wonderful and I'm very close to my parents, but it wasn't a place I could, I felt that I could talk about my emotions because my emotions were so much. They were so intense. And so I think from an early age, if we can let our kids know that home is a safe landing pad. And I think one of the best gifts that we can give our children is the gift of empathy that when they come home and say, so-and-so picked on me, you know, instead of running to school with our, you know, flags raised and ready to fight, we just sit with them and that hurts. Say, man, that really hurts and not say, well, that stinks, but listen to what happened to me, right? Mm. But just sit with them in that place and say, oh, man, you know, that that really hurts when friends can say those hurtful things. And 
way to feel and let them express how it makes them feel and maybe what we can do with those feelings because I think one of the best gifts of recovery and one of the best things that we can do in life is to be able to sit in our emotions. Mm-hmm. Emotions aren't always pleasant to feel. We love feeling joy and happy. But it's not pleasant to feel really sadness or really, you know, anger or grief. That's not comfortable. But in order to really feel the fullest joy, we have to be able to feel the deepest sadness. And to teach our kids that by sitting with them in that and not always fixing it, right? Because as parents, mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it too. I want to fix them. I want to, mm-hmm. like, help them, you know, put a Band-Aid on it. And with mental support and help, that's just, that's just not how it's going to go. Right. And if your child is feeling lonely or sad or any of those what we deem as more negative emotions, stuffing them keeps them boxed up. They don't go anywhere. So they then they remain sad instead of what you're just saying. Gosh, yeah, that that would make you feel really left out. I felt that way too. Tell me more about it. And letting them to get it out of their body, literally, as soon as it is voiced yes. to the air and to, to the sound waves, it suddenly has so much less power over them and it can leave and escape. And, new, and then in new right. emotions, hopefully more positive emotions, more powerful, hopeful emotions can enter. But as long as those negative emotions are, are trapped don't think that just by oh you'll be fine you'll maybe you'll be picked tomorrow for the team maybe this or that or the other thing it's not going to go anywhere it's not going to go anywhere yeah so I think that's a great tip for moms to realize just by keeping that communication open by acknowledging their feelings you don't need to give them every book on eating disorders necessarily you don't need to have them sit down and watch the Tracy Gold video but it really is just you can come to me I hear you your emotions are valid gosh and as a parent don't be afraid to reach out to a professional you know for your child or for yourself for that matter you know Mm -hmm. and uh and to find a, a, a really expert, you know, clinician to kind of help not just diagnose, but maybe guide you through whatever's going on. You know, I think mama intuition, it's the best one out there. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is a real thing. And if your alarm is kind of going off, then, you know, take, take heed to it. Yeah, I could not agree more. When I've talked to other women on this, on this topic, I've heard that as they go into motherhood, a lot of times they're as a great concern over their body changing and then getting back into shape and getting right back to where they were and, and having that be stressful and almost preventing them from getting pregnant in the first place. Did you experience any of that? And what was that road like for you when you did want to start your family? With the body image portion? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, my thing was that I had actually just discharged from treatment and all I wanted was a family. And I didn't know if, because of my long battle with an eating disorder, what pregnancy or what fertility was going to look like. You know, post-baby body is something that we hear about all the time, and it's almost like a barometer of, you know, are you a good mom if you can fit back in your jeans in four weeks or whatever. And, you know, now this is something that I speak out on often, that we waste so much energy trying to change the shape of our body when we are all born with these bodies and they are different. My body does not look like yours. Yours does not look like the person next to you. And it's certainly not going to look like it during pregnancy. But our bodies are these miraculous vessels that are able to, you know, get pregnant and have children and survive through life's tough times. But yet 
our society teaches us to go to war on our bodies instead of digging a little deeper and figuring out what's really going on in our life. You know, mm. changing my body is not going to inherently fix and change, you know, life's problems for myself. And I, I don't, I want to raise my kids to look up at me and say, wow, I want to, I want to be like mom. And that's because mom is focused on, you know, being kind to others and living her best life and not spending energy, you know, running on an elliptical and Mm. trying to change my body and hate my body. And, you know, I think that's a lot of wasted energy. Mm, And, And it's something that's just programmed in our society, right? It's just, you know, if you're thin, it equals happiness. And obviously we, we can cognitively know that's not true, but we see all these pictures and my advice is always, you know, fill your Instagram and Facebook with people and pages that, that fill you up and not tear you down. So I mean, for example, I have not read a magazine in a solid seven years because I yet to close a magazine with the exception of like architectural digest or Southern living that I close it and I'm like, wow, I feel great about myself. You know, so I don't, I don't put those things in my life. And saying that goes for motherhood. If there's a person that I'm like, okay, she is like being perfect mom. I can't stand that because there's no such thing as a perfect mom. So I'm going to, you know, unfollow that, you know. And so put, put put things around you, especially during the time when, when, you know, pre and post pregnancy can be obviously hormone driven. But there's just so much crap out there telling us that, oh, we should lose this weight by this time. And. Well, I mean, what if, what if your baby has colic and you're up 24 seven, even more so than most normal moms and you're just surviving. That's okay. Mm. Your baby is not going to know when you got back into your skinny jeans. I think that is such a great point. And you might think if you are, you know, post baby and you're wanting to get workout ideas or food ideas that following all those types of feeds are helpful and beneficial. But then after you're done scrollaxing, you realize, yeah. oh, oh gosh, like why do I feel so bad about myself? I don't feel inspired by these people that were supposed to be helping me. I feel worse about myself. And there are certainly feeds that can do the exact opposite, right? And so it's so important to be really aware of what you're consuming. What are you reading? What are you viewing? What are you looking at? Who are you surrounding yourself with in person and online? Is it adding to your life and inspiring you or is it diminishing your worth and your value? Because get rid of that. Nobody needs that. No. no. Amen. Yep. I mean, it's, it's literally, and it's a, there's so few things we can control in life. That's a big one that we can control mm-hmm. and we can, it, it just goes back to self-awareness and just seeing like, okay, this isn't making me feel good about myself. And, you know, I get following you know, certain things for food ideas and whatnot, but I caution anyone that follows things like keto, whole 30, all that kind of fad things, because that's all they are, are fads. And the best thing to do is listen to your body. Your body will tell you what it means if you are self-aware and you're quiet and you, you know, let feed your body what it wants. And that does not mean your body is going to want cheeseburgers and fries all day. Trust mm-hmm. me, it doesn't. Your body's going to tell you when it needs leafy greens or when it needs a big piece of salmon or when it needs a cheeseburger. But the minute that we start avoiding those things and trying to like, you know, make our body fit into a certain way, the more we're going to crave the other things and develop this really unhealthy relationship with food. Totally. Yeah. My body is never telling me that I want McDonald's, but my anxiety does or my fear does. Right. And so when you can identify it's not your body craving those things. It is an emotion that you have the power to work through and, and you don't have to work through it with that junk food. 
you can you well, can yes, sustain yourself. No, I'll I'll disagree with you in there because hmm. you know what we really try to focus on is that food is food. Food has no moral value. It is neither junk nor good. It mm. is just food. Because okay. the minute we start labeling things, I mean, how many times do you hear people say, I've been so bad today. I had McDonald's and a cookie. I am not a morally bad person because I had McDonald's and a cookie. Sometimes people might really crave McDonald's. Go for it, girl. Go get you some McDonald's. You're not going to die. It's not going to kill you. But the minute that we start putting such labels and hierarchy on food, our minds are going to want it more. You know, we want to just see food as food and to feed our bodies. You know, a great example is I do a lot, a lot, a lot of parent talks on raising body positive kids. And I was down in Miami at this wonderful school and a mom stood up and said, if I let her, my daughter would eat McDonald's every day. And the dietitian, who is head of nutrition services at Oliver Pie, which is a fantastic eating disorder center, she said, let her. We both said at the same time, let her. And she's like, no, she will literally eat it every day. And I said, I guarantee she will get tired of McDonald's. But the minute we stop our kids and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, what do they want to do? Whatever it might be, run in the street or eat McDonald's. So this mother said, no, she'll really do it. And I said, I guarantee you're finding McDonald's wrappers under her See, and she said, I am. And I said, because she's created this shame cycle within your family of, I shouldn't eat McDonald's. Then Mary spoke up about work that she did with a binge eating disorder patient. And all of that work was focused on normalizing the McDonald's experience. Wow. So her, this patient, her dad is a cardiologist and she has been fat shamed her whole life. The truth is, is that she was not supposed to be in a size whatever body. She was just in a larger body and that's okay because health comes at every size. So what Mary did with this client was take her through the drive through to tell her, hey, it's okay to want McDonald's. It's great. They have great fries. If you like their burgers, rock on. Like, it's fine. It will not hurt you. And you are not a bad person for wanting this. Because if she was not able to do that work, this client was going to continue to be, binge on McDonald's. And McDonald's can fit into our, our lifestyle. It's okay. But when we start putting these labels on it, it just causes more anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're thinking, I'm focused on the food. When, when honestly, if we just let ourselves and let ourselves listen to our bodies, their bodies are miraculous. They will truly tell us what they need. I love that. Thank you for that story and for clarifying um, that that view that I had because, yeah, that, that is so right on. And I think that will be so helpful for so many people that do have that shame tied up with a certain type of food. And, um, yeah, it, it has so much to do with the way that we think about food and the identification we have with food. And, and I think it's probably surprising how much meaning we give food. Because we think food is food, but yes. really there is so much memories and people saying things. That narrative runs deep. So that deep. it's no yes, yeah. Oh gosh. And I mean, a lot of times that's the kind of work that you can go and work with. You know, the Cliff Notes version of my my talk with parents about raising body positive kids is check yourself. Mm. What are your own preconceived notions or history with food where are your triggers what are you saying to yourself what are you saying to your body not just in front of your kids but yourself and and go from there and do not be ashamed to seek out professional help and support so good so good 
Yeah, because they will do way more of what they see us do than what we tell them to do. (laughs) So we do have to start with ourselves. I could not agree more. So some people, and I'm one of those people, when I faced a challenge in life, I think, oh, well, this is probably my thing. Like, this is this is my mission, and this is the thing I've sent to teach me something. Were you surprised then to face quite another battle with your daughter when she was diagnosed with cancer? What was that experience like for you? Well, considering that we had just gotten out of the NICU a few months before, yeah, I just, I, I just like, really? You know, I right. mean, it, it was just this whirlwind because I had yet to truly finish processing what I had gone through with her early birth and, you know, the emergency surgery with her and, um, and then surviving flu season, you know, with a preemie, with a micro preemie is scary in and of itself when we were just starting to get out of the house when she was diagnosed. And so it was in the moment on the day, which is coming up this Sunday, will mark three years since her diagnosis, you know, it was just this numbing experience that you just go into survival mode, right? You're like, mama bear's going to survive. We are just going to like put on our big girl panties and what do we need to do? Right. And you're just like, go, go, go. Okay. Doctors coming in and out, you know, we're going to do this starting chemo tomorrow. We need a CT scan. We need an MIBG and your mind is spinning. And yet you have this out of body experience. Like, I know this is really bad, but I can't like you, you're just, your body is in a state of shock. Right, mm-hmm. like you're in a, a airplane crash, and I knew in my head that I was going to come down from this state of shock at some point, and I certainly did. Um, but during that time, I think just like any mom does, you know, I had so many moms write me. I don't know how you did it. I think you would do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. We just we we put on our mom panties and we go, and and we were able to take care of our family and. I knew, though, it was going to come a time whenever, if ever we surfaced from that, that I was going to need some serious support because I was going to crash. And I did. You know, I knew that the grief would come, the grief of what just happened, how did we go through this cancer. And one of the biggest tools that I had that I cultivated years ago in my recovery was my writing. So on the blog, um, I literally blogged every day throughout the NICU and the cancer experience about what I was not just like the physical update of here's Marjorie chemo counts, blah, blah, but this is what I'm thinking and feeling. And this is what it feels like to be in my shoes right now. And so that was how, that was my daily outlet multiple times a day. And I didn't care if, you know, one person read it or 200,000 people were reading it. I just needed to get out what I was feeling. And my blog was my vessel. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to that emotion processing thing, right? Like as long as it stays stuffed, you can stay completely frightened and depressed and sad and mad and with all those different things or you could get it out and you could move move past it. And sure, those feelings will return, you know, I'm sure every single day you went through a myriad of emotions. But how, once you were able to get those out, how did that change your spirit and your outlook on what you were going through? I mean, it wasn't until, honestly, months later that Mm -hmm. I could really just kind of let myself crumble a little bit and start to process with the therapist, you know, what had happened. And it was this very frightening time of even though Marjorie was, um, 
you know, we were in the period where we were getting scans often to check the progress of the disease to see how it was shrinking because that's the that was the trajectory of her type of neuroblastoma was after the initial chemo was scanning to see as the cancer was regressing. So there was a lot of scan anxiety. Um, and then it was also kind of like I'm waiting for the next thing to happen in my life. So I had had all of these major life changes, a move, um, a move in a pregnancy, an early birth, a NICU, and then cancer. So it was I was trying my best not to, but I couldn't help it. I was lived in a constant state of fear that my world was going to collapse again. And that is actually a sign of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which we often think of as like war vets or rape victims, sexual assault. It never crossed my mind that I could develop PTSD from the, the experience that I had, but PTSD can come with anyone with any type of trauma in their lives, and trauma is a self-perceived um, you know, event. Mm -hmm. And so I think most people would agree with me that that happening within a year was pretty traumatic. And... So I was living in this constant state of fear and anxiety that something was going to happen to my children, and which really pushed me into another level of, of therapy to help kind of deal with these symptoms and, and this anxiety that I was starting to have because Marjorie was finally uh, diagnosed with, I mean, um, cleared from having any cancer in her body uh, about a year later, and that's when the PTSD symptoms got even worse. Mm. So... It is something that is unexpected within the cancer journey, and and I really like to talk about it because I think it can happen to anyone, and I've gotten so many emails from readers that are like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about PTSD, but this happened to me, and I've started to develop all of these fears and insomnia, and it's like, you know, what, this is what I always tell people, anytime that there's something that you just feel isn't right, that's the time to seek help. Like, don't wait for it to get, you know, to fit this diagnostic code perfectly into X, Y, and Z, and to fit all the symptoms on, you know, WebMD. Go talk to somebody, you know, because your life is worth living um, a, a life free from all of these things that, that come up during our lives. And it just means we need a little help refilling our toolbox with different skills to help us cope. And so where I am today after going through therapy for the, the PTSD anxiety is – you know, it is awesome to live in this really free state of mind that I don't feel like, you know, my kids are about to be run over if they're playing in the driveway and I can take them both to the grocery store without feeling like they're going to get run over or every time Marjorie has a tummy ache, it's not cancer. Mm -hmm. um, there's still a little bit sometimes of that and I think that just comes with the cancer mom status that everything you feel like every time your child has a bruise, you can kind of go through that diagnosis because it's just something that you never thought would ever happen, and now you feel like it's going to happen all the time. But um, I think that I am live my best life every day, and that I try to live present and true to where I am and what I'm feeling, and showing up for not just my kids, but for for myself. Mm. And on those days where you are kind of being triggered back to those feelings of anxiety and the trauma, do you have an actionable tip that you have in your toolbox that works well for you? Yeah, I, and I think this is one, too, that works well for, you know, anyone that's having negative thoughts. One of the things that I like to do with negative thoughts is visualize, like, a shredder and, like, shredding your negative thoughts. Mm. You know, seeing your negative thought written out on a paper and then shredding it. If you have a shredder, you can actually do it. <laughs> um, I'm all about those cathartic experiences. 
But, you know, for me, if I'm having anxiety about, you know, Marjorie gets a nosebleed and all of a sudden I jump to leukemia, you know, I kind of have to just check myself. I have to pull back and say, like, I'm at my house. My daughter is three and has sinuses. She is okay. I am okay. And we are safe. And it's a lot of self-talk that goes into it. It's a lot of self-awareness of being aware that I'm having this anxiety right now instead of just shoving it away. You know, my husband knows me well and knows that I will say I'm having a day. And what that means is, is can mean a, a host of different things, but he knows that on those times that I need some space to kind of process and slow down and have a lot of self-talk and let myself know that my kids are safe. I am safe. We're all safe. We're okay. You know, I can't control what's happening tomorrow, but for right now, I can just soak up what's happening in the present. Mm, I love that. And it's a constant effort isn't it? It doesn't, it's, yeah, doesn't just it, go away. It just goes back to mindfulness. You mm-hmm. know, I think mindfulness is such a wonderful practice. Yeah, I do too. I do too. That is a great tip. So, so helpful. And so for your foundation, tell people what you do, what the mission is, and if they want more information, how do they find you? So Southern Smash is, like I said, a nonprofit, and we promote positive body image and eating disorder awareness through our scale smashing event. And it's primarily on college campuses that we will go and set up our event in the middle of campus. So when I started this and came up with the idea, um, I was I wanted a, an event that was real and relatable. So if I sit out at a table on a college campus and say, Eating Disorder 101, nobody's going to come talk to me. But if we're smashing scales, we've got music, we've got balloons, you know, I'm giving them koozies and t-shirts because if you go to college, you can't do anything without a koozie and a (laughs) t-shirt. So, you know, we're having fun. Um, People will come over and it's just, it's a really engaging way to start a dialogue about a serious topic. And everyone that walks this planet knows what it feels like to not feel good enough, whether that manifests in body image, career, school, relationships. So that is what they're going to smash. And it's not just smashing scales. We have Dare to Love Yourself cards, which is all about an activity about positive affirmations. We have Let It Go balloons, which is about writing your perfect number, whether it's weight, grades, calories, or a thought no longer serving you well, like anxiety or depression or trying to be the perfect mom or always trying to have my kids dressed in matching clothes. Like whatever your struggle is that you need to let go of, you write it on the card to symbolize letting go of the things that weigh you down. We have all kind of body positive activities. And then in the evening, we do um, what's called a smash talk. And so that's an educational talk. I share some of my story. I have fellow clinicians come in, um, share different topics. But again, it does not always consist of eating disorder 101. It's really about defining, you know, talking about body image, talking about detoxes and cleanses and the negative effects, talking about topics that are real and relatable to everyone, not just folks with eating disorders and eating disorder 101. I also travel the country and speak at high schools, middle schools, fourth and fifth graders. I, like I said, I do my parent talks, teacher education. Um, I do a lot with the Alliance for Eating Disorders, which is down in Boca, and Johnny Candell, who does amazing work on uh, Capitol Hill with mental health reform. And currently, I am working with two phenomenal dietitians, and we are writing a nutritionally age-appropriate curriculum for nutrition education. And so what that is is, like I was telling you earlier, you know, our children are learning these really um, ineffective and harmful messages around nutrition education. You know, they're learning about good food and bad food, and that's really not what they should be learning. They should be learning about 
where our food grows and different cultures. And as they get into middle school and high school and as their cognitive level develops, then they're able to learn about proteins and grains and how that affects your body. But we're teaching these kindergartners a really high-level concept that they can't get and can eventually turn into a pretty harmful relationship with food. So we're on the brink of doing that, so you'll be seeing a big capital fundraising push for our new curriculum that will hopefully be out January 2019. Um, so, yeah, so I'm kind of all over the place, and I, I do everything. And I talk to families every day about eating disorder recovery, I help them find therapists and dietitians and treatment centers mm -hmm. because it can be a really daunting task to, you know, you're in this place, your child is, is sick or you're sick and where do you go? How do you find the help? And I help across the country people find help and support. And I think it's so, so important to point out as a parent of a child who is struggling in some way, maybe it's an eating disorder, maybe it's something else, it is not a reflection of your parenting. But the second you are striving to open communication with your child, find them resources and help through a certain challenge, whatever it is, that is an extraordinary mom. That is an extraordinary yes. parent who is willing to get their child whatever resources and help they need to be successful and strong and healthy. That is what matters. And I have the, I mean, one of the best things that I do is I travel to different treatment centers and spend the days with patients because my first disclaimer is I am not a nutritionist nor a clinician and I'm a proud former patient and I'm an advocate. And so spending the day with patients is someone that can sit next to them and say, I've been in your shoes and I am now living a life full and in recovery. And then I also get to talk with parents that are there with their children. Veritas Collaborative is a phenomenal treatment center in Durham and their children's hospital, I was there not too long ago, and I spent an extra hour just with the parents in the lobby chatting about, you know, their, their challenges that they're seeing and how the parents kind of come together and they are support for each other, and I help connect them with other parents in the country that are, you know, leaders and, and, and you know, with parents against eating disorders. And, you know, these parents, they have done nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. It is not, you know, it's not my mom's fault. I have an eating, dis I had an eating disorder and it's not their fault. It's nobody's fault. Just like it was not my daughter's. It's not my fault that my daughter had cancer. You know, this is a mental illness. The brain is part of the body, just like any other organ. And so it's something that we need to normalize because, you know, when my daughter was sick with cancer, I had casseroles and GoFundMe pages and I had anything I wanted. But when a child is sick with a mental health, mental mm -hmm. illness, Everyone is hush about it. People don't want to step on toes. They don't want to know what to say. Talk about it. Reach mm. out to your friend and say, I am so sorry. What can I do? Mm. Because we just want to sweep it under the rug and say, oh, that's just sweet. No, we don't want to go there. You know, go there. There's nothing wrong with talking about it. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. So, so good. So where can people find you online? Yes. Uh, SouthernSmash.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, all Twitter, all that jazz. And then my website is lapaldempsey.com, and they can reach me through that. And they can find me as well on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I love to connect with folks. Oh, amazing. I love it. I always ask my guests one final question, McCall, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? <laughs> this is such a good question. Um <laughs> jokingly or not so jokingly I would tell her that all of the rules that you think you're going to have for your kids you're going to break them all like <laughs> iPad at a restaurant <laughs> because you just want to eat your freaking food exactly <laughs> um, I, I was on this I am never going to get my kid an iPad at right. a restaurant whoops um, <laughs> but I, I think just embrace 
embrace the mess, embrace the chaos that comes with it. Your house will never be clean again until they move out. Mm -hmm. And it's so damn fun and worth it. You know, my husband and I at eight o'clock, we plop down on the couch and we're like, what happened tonight? (laughs) But it's so worth it. I just posted something on Instagram yesterday about the messy kitchen because I've made an effort this year to have family dinners. And it's it takes so much work to get everyone to sit at the table at the same time. It does. It but, does. And I looked at my kitchen. It looked like a bomb exploded. But I was like, gosh, it is so worth it. You know, my kids aren't going to remember that the kitchen was a wreck. But hopefully they'll remember that little moment together. So embrace the mess. Embrace the chaos. And make the most of every minute. Because we never know what might happen mm-hmm. tomorrow or the next minute or hour. I love that. I know. I often remark, it looks like we've been robbed in our house. <laughs> But when, when we have those days where all the toys are out and it just looks crazy, that means they haven't been on screens. They haven't been gone. They, they were here enjoying their home. And it can all be cleaned up. It really can. And I'm, exactly. I need to remind myself that more often because sometimes I'm like, ah, what is going on? But you're so right. You're so right. Yes. Embrace the mess. McCall, thank you so much for sharing your motherhood journey, your experience with an eating disorder, and now the advocacy that you're doing. You are doing such, such great work, and this message you're spreading cannot get to these kids soon enough, and I just hope that you're empowering a lot of parents to, that there are resources, and there is help, and it's not their fault. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. I want to thank McCall for being here today. I got so much out of that conversation and I love how she challenged some of my thinking in terms of eating and a relationship with food. And because this is not specifically something that I have dealt with in the past, it really opens my mind to what others might be experiencing in their life and even clues me into more of my own thinking as well. So thank you so much, McCall. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDalkwas3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Links to pictures of McCall and her cute family, links to where to find McCall online. It's all over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Coming up this Friday, we have another episode with Allison Faulkner. She's back. She's my bestie, and we are going to be chatting all about her new brand courses. She's relaunching those for influencers and brands to make a name for themselves online and to grow in strength, and it's going to be a great conversation. You know we're going to have a lot of fun, and you're going to learn more about how these courses can really benefit your business. So thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today, and we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.